Okay, if you, would, uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 15, and as you're turning to Matthew chapter 15, let me just remind you what we're doing. We're going through the chronological life of Jesus Christ. So we're looking through all the different four Gospels and taking the life as it went along, and uh, uh, the different things. So remember, Luke follows the chronology of Jesus' life, but he doesn't have all the pieces. He hasn't taken every bit. But that then becomes our outline, and then we fill it in from the other Gospels. And today what we're going to talk about, so last week we spoke about how Jesus healed this Syrophoenician woman's daughter, this woman who was a Gentile, she came to him, and how merciful he was in that act, and how he encouraged her right around to finding the, the, uh, the right solution to having her daughter healed. He just guided her in that and what to say and, and do. And now... Uh, what we're going to learn about today is this passage where Jesus departs from there. He was up in, in Tyre and Sidon in this area of Syrophoenicia. And now he's going to move back down to the Galilee area, but to where it says the Decapolis, which was ten towns, all of them being Gentile towns. Uh, there were some Jewish enclaves within there, but they were all Gentile towns. One of those towns was on the east side of the Galilee Nine of them are on, on uh, I'm sorry, one of them is on the west side of the Galilee, nine of them are on the east side of the Galilee. After that, he's going to heal the masses, where he's in a Gentile area, he's going to heal the masses of Gentiles. So this part of his ministry, he's reaching out very intensely to Gentiles. We will then see how he will heal a Jew who's living among those Gentiles and how he, he, his healing is very different. Then he's going to feed 4,000 of them, all of them Gentiles. So the last time he's fed 5,000 that we discussed, those were all, all predominantly Jews. These are going to be predominantly Gentiles that he's going to feed. Then how he's going to uh, move to another city. The Pharisees are going to confront him. And then he's going to have a, a lesson with, with some of his disciples. So let's start reading in Matthew chapter 15, reading from verse, uh, reading from verse 29, Matthew 15:29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing to him them, them who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, many others. Then they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So you see that that uh, Jesus is now goes from Tyre and Sidon, that's where he was with the Syrophoenician woman, just above this passage, he moves back down to the Galilee, to the Decapolis area, to these towns which are predominantly Gentile towns, and he's healing the masses. So remember, after the, the unpardonable sin, Jesus no longer openly heals Jewish people. He does it quietly. He heals Jewish people. He no longer heals masses as he did before before the unpardonable sin. But the Gentiles were not under this unpardonable sin, and he is healing them again, still healing the masses. Prior to the unpardonable sin with, with the Jews, that there was no obligation even of faith. Remember, people would say, I don't even know who he was who came to, to heal me. After the unpardonable sin with Jews, he only healed individuals based on need and faith. The Gentiles just came to him in mass, and he healed them. He's still doing this, and that's what he's doing now in this time, in this passage which we just read. Now, if you'd keep your finger there, because we're going to bounce back to Matthew soon, but, but turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 7. So this is the parallel account 
just as, as there was the parallel account between the two, Matthew and Mark, of healing the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Now here's the parallel account. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. Mark uh, 7, verse 31. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, and he put his finger into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephathra, that is, be opened. And the ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to see. So within the Decapolis, which is predominantly Gentile, we just read in Matthew how he was healing the masses. And what did the masses say when they were being healed? I remind you, this is from Matthew uh, 15, verse 31. The crowd marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the blame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So here you have the Gentiles glorifying specifically, it says, the God of Israel. If he were just working there among the Jews, they're glorifying God. That is understood. But here the Gentiles are glorifying the God of Israel. But there is a Jew that is brought to him by some fellow Jews while he's in the Decapolis because there were enclaves of Jews living in these Gentile territories just as there are to this day. You can go into Palestinian areas within the land of uh, of Israel and you can find Jews living in those cities that are predominantly uh, Palestinians. So, They bring to him this Jew, or else we could never understand why, in this same situation, he's dealing with the two parties very differently. He's dealing with them differently because, remember, after the unpardonable sin, he no longer heals Jews openly. He heals them based on need and based on faith. They're bringing them to him. There is faith. And what does Jesus do in Mark? It says, says, they brought one who was deaf in verse 32, Mark 7, 32, and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on him. So it's interesting that they're asking Jesus to lay his hands on this man. This is the way they're asking him to do it. So they are saying, we want you to heal him by laying on your hands. And Jesus could heal by speaking a word. Many ways that Jesus could heal. But they're saying, we want you to do it by the laying on of hands. And Jesus turns around, and he, he deals with him, and he says... He says in verse 33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his finger into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And he looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and he said, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. So Jesus takes him away from the crowd. Again, this is very characteristic of the way Jesus ministers after the unpardonable sin with Jews. He takes them privately. He does the healing. And it's interesting the way he did did the healing. So look at the way Jesus did it. He, He put his fingers into his ears. That touches his ears. And then... He spits and he takes some of the the spittle and he touches it 
to the tongue of this man. Now, Jesus has healed lots of people just by speaking a word from a distance or just by laying on a hand or speaking a word where they're right there. Why this way? Well, we don't know exactly why this way, but we do know it's a different way. This is why when people say to me, you know, in this church they worship that way, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't bother me. Jesus gives us multiple methods by which he healed. If you want to lock in and say, that is the way that Jesus heals, we have to do it the same way. I don't know what you lock in on. Because he's given us so many different examples. And so that's why it doesn't trouble me when I see churches with different patterns of worship, different patterns of praying for the sick, different patterns of doing things. Jesus was really broad in what he was doing and the way he would do it. Jesus didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to do it this way. Jesus could just speak a word. He didn't even have to speak the word. He just think it. And it's done. Why even bother speaking? Just think it and taken care of. Jesus could do that. But he chose to do it in this way. And so it's really broad in the way Jesus worked, in the way Jesus ministered. So don't get too bewildered that different churches might do things different ways. It's a broad tent that our Lord has. And the way he deals with people, and the way people worship, and the way people seek God. And uh, a lot of times, when we get real excited about the Lord, the first place, the first say, body of Christ, or the first little prayer group that you really get turned on to the Lord and excited about, you may think that this is the way it's got to be done. Then you find that not everybody does it that way. Somebody else got really excited about the Lord in some different sort of environment. And it's okay. Both of them are equally valid. They're different people touching different ways. And I look at some churches in town. Some churches are great for different types of people. There are some churches that you could have, you could, you know, be, have lots of uh, face rings of all types and, and, and uh, nobody cares. And other churches that you feel really comfortable going, un- uncomfortable going into that church having, you know, lip rings and tongue piercing and all of this. And, and you feel kind of, everybody's looking at me. So there are different churches for different sorts of people. That's okay. It's really fine. Jesus was really broad in the way that he's doing it. But you see the consistency of Jesus in the sense of the way he was ministering. And what does he tell this guy? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Remember to the Gentiles, he was, it was clear. Remember when Jesus healed that, that man uh, uh, who had the demons, who was a Gentile? He says, go and tell your, everybody. That was right after the unpardonable sin, where, where after that... When he healed Jews, he said, don't tell anybody. He didn't want the word of his Messiahship going out in that way because that was withdrawn in the unpardonable sin. In spite of that, the people went and were talking about it. But the very consistent pattern when he healed a Jew at this point in his ministry, because now we're in the third year of his, his three and a half year ministry, he was, he was uh, consistently tell them, telling them, don't speak. But to the crowds that we had just read about in Matthew Chapter 15, we never see him saying, don't speak about this. To the Gentiles, it was totally open. Okay, so let's read on the next thing in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 1. Again, the same sort of portion is, is in Matthew as well, but we'll read it out of Mark since we're here. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. 
If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here, in this desolate place, to feed these people? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to the disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples, and they came to the district of Dalmanutha. Okay, so now, this is an occasion where Jesus is feeding 4,000 Gentiles. Remember, we had already said that he healed, uh, uh, we discussed this a few weeks ago, he healed 5,000, he, he, he fed 5,000, those were predominantly Jews, it was 5,000 men, plus women and children. Here it mentions 4,000, in the Matthew account it says there were 4,000 men, plus women and tri- children. So we don't know how many there really were, but there, maybe there were 6,000, maybe there was 15,000, we don't know. But we know that there were 4,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus says of them, these are Gentiles. So, so think of this picture here. These are Gentiles. And there was this rift between Gentiles and Jews. Remember, after Jesus is raised from the dead, many years after this, Peter is praying on the housetop and Jesus, God speaks to Peter three times in a vision, saying that he's opening the gospel up to the Gentiles. And it took Peter three times to hear Jesus and then going into the house of Cornelius before he really received that God was really opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a huge thing. I know we think, Gentile Jew, why are you making such a big deal about it? Because it was a big deal to them. Because to them, Jesus is looking over this crowd and He says, I feel compassion for them. They're hungry. They've been with me three days. I can't just send them away. Can you imagine being invited to a Christian meeting? Christian conference. And you get there, they say, oh, we didn't tell you? There's no food. And you're like, what? I mean, Christian conferences, that's, that's most of what you do at Christian conferences is eat. And, and uh, there's no food. There's nothing there. They're out in the wilderness. They came to see Jesus. Jesus even says, many of them have come from a long distance. In fact, they're so hungry, if I send them away, some of them are going to faint on the way. I care about these people, Jesus says. And the disciples are like, they're just Gentiles. You care about them? When you come to Christ, you will see Christ will break down things in you that may have been there for a long time toward other people, other people groups, other individuals that may really be a nuisance to you and a bother to you, those are the ones that Jesus wants you to learn to love. You will always find at work or at school that there is one or two people in particular that really irritate you. You don't like the way they talk. You don't like the way they look. You don't like the way they laugh. And Jesus will have you Think about them and say something to them and reach out to them. And he will confront you with this individual. 
as if you have to reach out to them. This is what Jesus does. He breaks down barriers between human beings. This is what he does. If you're around Jesus, this is what he will do. And Jesus said, I care for these people. I care for their welfare. And the disciples are like, well, what do you want us to do? We're going to get food for all of these people. Ah, uh, don't you remember how it happened last time? How many loaves of bread do you have? Well, we have seven. But how is that enough for all these people? What Jesus always does is He doesn't take, in every case, He doesn't just take bread magically out of thin air. He takes what the disciples have and then He stretches that. You want to go on the mission field? Don't raise all the money from other people. Take some of what you have and apply it to that. Use some of what you have. David said, I will not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. The man had offered to him the land. He says, I'm going to buy it from you. I'm not going to offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. They took everything they had, the seven loaves, and they gave it to Jesus. And Jesus said, that'll be enough. And it, here it says there were, a couple of, there, were, there were some small fish. And in Matthew it says specifically there were two small fish. And again, it says, small fish, lest you think that they had a whale with them. And that's how he fed them. So you have seven loaves of bread, two small fish, and Jesus blesses it. And what does he do? He has the disciples serve it. I mean, Jesus could just think it and poof, in front of all the Gentiles is sitting a plate of bread and fish. He could have done that, right? But he didn't. He had them bring what they had, and then he had them distribute after he blessed it. And so they're having to go back and forth. Jesus allows us to participate in his ministry. We think, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm serving you? (laughs) Nobody else would do this if I didn't. Let me tell you something. If you didn't, Jesus can raise up somebody else. He really can. He is allowing us to participate in His ministry toward others. Because it is very good for us. This is a blessing to be able to participate in His ministry. He allows us to participate in His ministry. And He allowed them to participate and distribute the food and see this miracle that He was going to perform. And it's in the act of service that we see His miracle. In the act of serving Him, we see His miracles over and over again. We see His hand. And it changes our attitude. When you take that person that you don't like the way they laugh, you don't like the way they smile, and you bring them a, you know, a cup of coffee, Starbucks coffee, or something really good with, with mocha and hazelnut or whatever you put in there, you give them that, you then, it changes everything about the way you feel about this person. That's why the scripture says, overcome evil with good. You do an act of good. You do an act of good towards somebody, and something good happens between you and them. I've told people this before, and many students have come back and said they've tried it and it worked. That, that their boss doesn't like them. I said, find out what they like and bring it to them. I said, do they like Starbucks? She said, oh yeah, my boss brings Starbucks coffee every morning for herself. I said, then you go, and you go one day, one afternoon, and bring her a, a, a cup of Starbucks coffee. She said it changed everything. She started inviting me out to lunch. Changed everything. You do an act of good. Uh, um, C.S. Lewis talks about this. He said the Germans would, would uh, confine the Jews to a certain region of the city. 
And you would think that that would passivate their hatred, but it didn't. Then they started throwing stones through their windows. And you'd think that that would passivate their, 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 uh, their hatred, and it didn't. And then they had to start taking them and putting them in concentration camps. That wasn't up. Then they had to start exterminating them. If we act out acts of wickedness, it causes us to hate the people all the more. In the same way, when we do acts of kindness, it causes us to like the people all the more. Jesus puts them in a position where they have to take what little bread they had. Jesus blessed it and let them distribute it. And it causes them to be more open to the Gentiles through this act of service. So then they eat. There were seven baskets left over. Remember when he fed the 5,000, the Jews, there were 12 baskets full. It's hard to know exactly what the numbers mean, but 12 was often a number that was used for Jews. Seven is often a number that is used for, for Gentiles. The Noahic Covenant, the seven things that went to the Gentiles, that, that, uh, uh, a common number for Gentiles. But in any way, there was plenty left over. There were seven baskets full. And in the same way, when we give and minister, there is plenty left over for us. Don't worry, there's plenty left over for us in the same way. And so, so after he does this, then, then, let's, let's, uh, then it says that he, he went with his disciples in verse 10 to the strict district of Dalmanutha. So let's, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 16. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 16 and we'll pick up the same story in Matthew because Matthew brings out a few more points on this. Matthew chapter 16, reading from, from uh, verse 39, I'm sorry, verse 1539. So 1539 it says, And sending, the crowds, sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. Verse 16, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to d- discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him. He went to this town, so he's back now in Jewish territory. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him. And they're asking from him a sign. Remember, he gave them plenty of signs from himself. He was healing people. He was doing things. He he was doing actually the exact signs that the Messiah was supposed to do. And what did they do? They said, no, 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 no. You do this only because you have a demon. And that's when Jesus had proclaimed upon them the unpardonable sin. And after that, he never did any signs in front of them. But now they come to him, they want a sign. Not from himself anymore. They say, give us a sign from heaven. Now make lightning come out of heaven. Give us a sign from heaven that you are who you are. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any signs. An evil and adulterous generation gets, gets no signs. And he says, you can read the signs yourself of the heavens. You know that when the sky is... Remember the, the old sail, sailor slogan... Uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. This is the same thing Jesus is saying here. When the sky is not, at, at red at night, you know it's going to be fair weather the next day. When it's red in the morning, you know a storm is coming. He says, I'm not going to give you any sign from heaven. This is exactly the same thing he told them after the unpardonable sin. He said that I will give you no signs other than the sign of resurrection. 
The sign of resurrection is the only sign you will see. And Jesus gives them three signs of the resurrection. One, he's going to give them in, in Lazarus, raising from the tomb. The next one, he's going to give the sign of his own resurrection. They still don't come to the Lord. The third sign is going to be given of resurrection that we read about in the book of Revelation where the two witnesses are raised up from the dead. The two witnesses that, that were killed are going to be raised up from the dead. And then we see in the book of Revelation that then, in mass, the Jewish people will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. That is the only sign that they will get again. They've already had it twice. On the third sign, this is, this is during the tribulation period, after those two raise up, then the Jews will come en masse. That's the only sign he's going to show them. This is exactly a reiteration of what we covered before, of what he said to them during the, the unpardonable sin. So he says, that's all I'm going to give you. And, and it says that in, in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, and he left them and he went away. He just left. He'd have nothing to do with them. Verse 5, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they began to discuss among themselves, saying, he said that because we, do not, we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So sometimes Jesus is hard to really interpret what he means. I mean, just understanding people sometimes is hard. So, so as, as, as like N.T. Wright puts it, if, if, a, if a man says, I'm mad about my flat, if it's American, it means he's angry about the puncture in his tire. If he's British, it means that he's excited about the place where he lives. So, so even to this day, it, it matters what, what's said based on different cultures. Even in that day, they were confused about Jesus, what Jesus was talking about. So it's no wonder why sometimes we struggle with the Bible today. What exactly are you saying here? And because we've got 2,000 years distance, we've got the East versus the West, and right there they were living with Jesus. And they grew up with Him and they didn't understand what He was talking about. But He's speaking about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees. Remember, the, the leaven of the Pharisees was that they were saying that Jesus was demon-possessed. The leaven of the Sadducees didn't believe in demons, so that wasn't their problem. Sadducees said that he was against temple worship, which he never was. Remember, it was the Sadducees that controlled the temple compound, and Jesus had driven out the money changers twice, once by this time already. And it was the Sadducees that were in charge of that, of the Sanhedrin. It was two-thirds Sadducees and about one-third Pharisees. So he's telling them to beware of that. But it says that they had interpreted these words as, he's upset with us because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus looks at them, he says, why do you lack so much faith? He says, don't worry about bread, I will give you bread. Remember there were 5,000 people, how many baskets were left over? There were 12 baskets. And in the mark account it says, we had 12. And he says, how about the 4,000, which we just did? A few hours ago, how many baskets load of food were left over? He said, seven. He said, I will take care of your bread. 
don't concern yourself with that. You know, God has done so much in our lives. God has done so much to remind us of His goodness. If, if I start thinking about, oh, God is he's not going to come through in this, He's not going to... God has not brought me this far to just drop me. I can remember throughout my life, I came to the Lord at the age of 18. I can remember praying as an undergraduate that, that how, how God would do things in my life and how, he would, and how things would happen in my life. Praying that I would get into the right graduate school, right graduate school program. I mean, that was a very big thing in my life at the time. Very big thing. And God really just, just moved and worked. And I was praying that God would bring me to the right church. Just as an undergrad, when I was going to go to graduate school, I said, Lord, I want to get to the right church where I could be, really become a part and serve and grow. And how God just, just supernaturally ministered and spoke to me concerning churches and the things that were happening. Uh, I, I, the, the instance of this, I was praying all summer that God would lead me to the right church. And I remember when I went out to graduate school, I returned the rental car. And I was walking back that Sunday morning from the rental car place back to the graduate student dorm. Uh, this was the year before Shireen and I got married. And as I was walking back, I saw this one church, and, and uh, I didn't know much about it. And, it was a, and, and I walked in there, and um, uh, I just tried to meet people. Nobody would talk to me. Nobody was saying hi to me. Nobody was saying anything to me. And uh, this guy brought in this box of donuts for the college class. And the first thing he did, when he, op- he opened up the box of donuts and took some donuts for himself. And he was the leader there. So anyway, so I just went out and just started walking back to the dorm, thought I'd see another church on the way. So I saw another sign, and it said, Upper Room Christian Fellowship, come and come worship with us. So I went up there, and, and uh, uh, nice people, nice folks, but I was unsure. You know, they had different pattern of worship than what I was used to. And then all that week I was praying, God, you have to show me. Was that the church you want me to be in? If not, I'll start looking for another church. And I pick up and I start reading my Bible where I left off the day before. This is just my normal pattern. I read from Genesis to Revelation. When I'm done, I start again. I start reading where I left off the day before. And I started reading a portion. And as I was on my knees reading the scriptures, I read, Jesus said, Go and a man will show you an upper room and there have the Passover feast. That's the exact name of the fellowship. And it was then further confirmed by the peace of God just filling the room, giving me great peace about that fellowship. And, and you know, I just locked in with that fellowship, started serving and, and, and getting involved. And then when the next, that, that following summer when I got married, Shireen came and it was such a blessing. God has done things in my life. I remember we were, we were in married student housing and, and uh, I had prayed that God would give us an apartment. Of all of married student housing, I had prayed, I didn't even know a place like this existed, but that we would get an apartment on the ground floor, on the end of a building, with picnic tables in the back. So that Shireen could cook meals and we could just open the window and hand them out for the picnic tables. Because those apartments are a little small, so we would have this. And I didn't even know a place like this existed. I got an apartment on the ground floor, on the end of a building, with a whole parking back called Squirrel Park. It was a huge park with picnic tables and swing sets and so much stuff. Exactly what I prayed for. I remember we, we were having this group of international students. We were going to have them over for, for, uh, for a, a meal. And uh, 
the pastor and another associate guy was, were going to be driving some, these two vanfuls of these visiting scholars that were there to study. And they, were, they had taken them somewhere and they were going to bring them in and they were arranging for them to come over to our home to eat. And we were just graduate students. So Shireen was cooking all this food and we were handing the food out. And the sky was just ominous. It was drizzling. And it, I thought, this, Lord, this can't work. We can't have rain. There were a couple of people with me that were helping me set up. A couple of Christians and some non-Christians were there. And I said, let's pray that God stops the rain. This non-Christian was looking like, you are crazy. And I got down on my knees right by the picnic table and I started praying. I said, Lord, open up the skies and let the sun shine in this area while we were having this picnic. I got up from the prayer, it stopped raining, and then the skies started to open. And the sun was just shining right in on Squirrel Park. The two vans drove up and the pastor was like, I don't believe this. We just drove through rain the entire way here. And it's not even raining here. We had the entire picnic... Just as we're doing the last bit of cleanup, the clouds came over and it started raining again. I have seen this sort of thing. I was at a, at a prayer meeting, at a, at a meeting a few years later with, with these men of God from India. And there was one missionary from the Himalayas. And as we're at this Christian conference, we're beginning to pray that God would just come in and really move amongst us. And it was drizzling and raining and it was supposed to rain all day. And this, this one Indian missionary from the Himalaya mountains, as we're praying on our knees... He, says, he said, Father, many people will be inhibited from coming here if it's raining like this. Stop the rain, I pray. And just boom, he just starts seeing the sun shine through. These are men of God. I have seen this with my own eyes. I have lived this. How could I ever doubt that God would just, he, he was going to bring me to this place, to this age at Rice University and now drop me? No. He's, he has this pattern where he does things in our lives. They saw him feed 5,000. They saw him feed 4,000. And he reproves them for doubting him. He reproves them for saying, how could you doubt me? How could you be worried about bread? Don't you know that I will take care of you? When I was going to do my postdoc, even when I was a graduate student, I was two years into graduate school. With, my research wasn't working out at all. And I remember going up on top of a, a, of a hillside and looking down over the university and just thinking, what am I doing here? This isn't working. And God just reassuring me. And as I look back, what he did in my career. And then I got this postdoc with this very famous guy. And, and, and I, in fact, when I was an, a graduate student, I had prayed, who should I work for? And I got this position with this guy. And 30 years later, he wins a Nobel Prize. I had no idea he was going to be that famous. Then I went to work for another famous guy for a postdoc. And I remember praying before I went there. I said, Lord, I pray that I would get two papers, just my postdoc advisor and me, just the two of us on the paper, uh, in the Journal of the American Chemical Society, which at the time was the best journal that you could publish in as a chemist. And then I would get one paper in the next tier level in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. Just he and me. I prayed that I'd have two papers in, in Journal of American Chemical Society and one paper in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. After two years of being in this group, that's exactly what I had. Two papers in the Journal of the American Chemical Society, one in the Journal of Organic Chemistry, and it's just he and me. How can you predict this? God has shown me through my life that He is a God who answers prayer. He is a God who ministers and works and He drops things into our lives to give us examples so that we don't forget Him. So we don't forget that He lives. That He lives. And if we will, will but trust Him and pray and specifically ask and but trust Him, we will look back over our lives and say, Lord, You have not brought me this far just to drop me. 
You will see me through. Even last year, my, my grants were just cratering. Nothing was getting renewed. And I prayed and sought the Lord. And so now we, I've built it back up in one year. So that, that 80%, 70 to 80% of my program is now industrially funded. It's so hard because so many federal programs are cutting back. And the Lord has just blessed me with so much industrial money. And so what God has done, He hasn't brought me this far to drop me. We pray, we seek Him. But we're not to forget the things that He does in our life. That's what He was reproving them for. He said, why are you worried about bread? You just saw me feed thousands. You're not going to starve when you follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercies. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to pray, to seek Jesus. Father, I pray that You would touch their hearts, even from this message, touch their hearts even now. That they would learn to trust You, that You mean good for them. That You offer them a future and a hope, but more than that, more than they could ever ask or think, You offer them that they would learn to walk in faith and trust You. Father, work and move in their lives, I pray. Work and move in their lives. Challenge them to grow and to know You deeper and more richly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.